gospel lesson and sermon text is Luke 12, 29, or sorry, 49 to 56. Let me just remind you, this is God's word to us and it's given to us because he loves us. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our hearts to understand what it is that you would have to say to us this morning, because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the timing to preach this passage today uh, might have been better served the previous two Sundays when I heard that the temperature inside this sanctuary felt like Jesus did indeed come and cast fire on the earth. I guess if uh, any of you were here the last uh, two Sundays, you experienced that and know what I am talking about. It's uh, not exactly pleasant in here, according to the atomic clock on the back wall. It's right around 79 degrees, Uh, but don't worry. Uh, I won't try to make up for it by uh, keeping you in here as long as possible and preaching, I don't know, like 47 minutes or something like that. So I was listening to this uh, podcast called Smartless. Uh, do you know that podcast? It's Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and uh, Sean Hayes. I, th- I think they might have started it around uh, the pandemic for something fun to do together. So these are three actors and their friends, and they have guests on and, and other famous people they know, and they just really just kind of talk and laugh and goof off. Uh, But it's it's fun. There's some good episodes to it. And the guests uh, a couple weeks ago were uh, the two lead members of the band Arcade Fire. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that band. It's one of my favorite bands of all time still to this day. Uh, I got to see them play in 2007 at the Austin City Limits Music Festival, and it is still my favorite concert that I have ever been to in my entire life. Life. Pastor Jameson was also at that concert, but that is not his favorite concert of his entire life, and you'll have to ask him the story as to why that is. I'm not going to share it for him. Arcade Fire is one of those bands that just doesn't do fluff, um, and I'm not like extolling that as like, oh, against your band that sings about nothing. No, that's not what I mean. I'm just saying that's just how they are. I mean, they just don't really do albums that are just all happy, clappy, and fun, or whatever. They, every song on their albums are basically a politically charged satire of our current state 
of Affairs. And their latest album, We, is uh, certainly that. I mean, the first track on the album is Age of Anxiety, uh, you know, so not a real pick-me-upper. Uh, in the interview on Smartless on the podcast, the front man uh, for the band, his name is Wynn Butler, uh, who is in his 40s, same as I am, talked about being a parent, raising a child during the times that we live in. He talked about how much more nimble our kids have to be. He used the word nimble, and I like that. How much more nimble our kids have to be to navigate this life than what it felt like when we were their age. Navigating a world that seems increasingly anxious, tumultuous, evolving, scary, and sometimes bleak. In short, a world that so often seems like it's on fire. And if you listen to Arcade Fire's music or know some of the band's personal history, you would also know that they believe that the church of Jesus in North America is part of the problem, that the church plays a part in the divisiveness of our society, and perhaps you've experienced this discomforting feeling, that there exists this expectation that and we are supposed to keep faith and politics not only separate from each other, but private that we're supposed to keep these things to ourselves. You can believe in Jesus all you want, but keep him out of our discussions. Keep him out of our discussions around race and justice. Keep him out of our discussions around sexuality and politics, war, guns, poverty, climate change, you name it. Keep your Jesus to yourself. And you get to places in the Bible where Jesus comes along and says, says things like what he says today, and this starts to distress you. Well, take comfort. Jesus was also distressed when he said it. It says it right there in our passage today. Jesus is, is distressed about the state of affairs of the world that he created, that he created along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure that he's distressed when he says these things, because he knows that he's making a political statement that is going to get him into a lot of hot water. You see, I'm often off to say this and remind you and remind myself, you know, they didn't crucify Jesus for being a nice guy. No one crucifies people for encouraging each other to be nice to your neighbor they crucify you for being a threat. They crucify you for being a threat to the empire. They crucify you for upsetting the balance of the status quo. They crucify you for saying things like what he says today. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. Why is this a problem that he says this? Because there already exists a gospel in the first century before Jesus comes along. There already exists a gospel proclamation in the ancient Near East of good news 
And that proclamation of good news is that Caesar is Lord and that the kingdom he brings is the kingdom of peace. The kingdom he brings as the Pax Romana. And Jesus comes along and he starts preaching the opposite, that he's the one who brings true peace that the kingdoms of this world cannot provide. And we believe that, right? We believe that Jesus is Lord and he provides peace, peace that passes all understanding that we read about earlier, peace not as the world gives, that Jesus gives to us freely. And yet we have recorded for us here that Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace, but division. Fathers against sons and sons against their fathers, mothers against their daughters and daughters against their mothers. Mother-in-laws against their daughter-in-laws and daughter-in-laws against their mother-in-laws. Well, at least that last one makes sense. But in the parallel passage recorded in Matthew, Jesus goes even further. He says that, in fact, if you don't hate your mother or hate your father or hate your wife and hate your husband and hate your children, that you can't follow him, that you cannot be his disciple. Well, now we've done gone mixed up religion and politics and loyalty to family all at the same time. Well, let me try, if I may, humbly and feebly to try to make sense of what in the world Jesus is talking about and hopefully see why all of us struggle to make sense of how we are supposed to nimbly lean into this world as faithful disciples of Jesus when doing so, in fact, seems divisive. At a times when we so desperately want to be anything but more divisive. So listen, Jesus isn't saying to follow him, you have to actually, in reality, hate your family or hate yourself. What he is saying is that your love for him puts him in a category of priority and importance that all other loves in your life pale in comparison. What Jesus is getting at is allegiance. If the good news is that Jesus is Lord, then he is Lord of all of it. Every single square inch, not just part of it, but all of it. And the call is to bow the knee to Jesus as king. And when you bow the knee to Jesus as king, when you make him not just your first allegiance, but your first love, you inevitably must reevaluate all other loves in light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which then leads to a reevaluation in light of the gospel, all the systems and structures and cultures and groups that you previously gave allegiance or who are constantly clamoring for your allegiance in exchange for their promises of freedom. And happiness, systems, structures, cultures, groups that often find no fault in trampling on others in order to secure your freedom and happiness. Friends, Jesus doesn't want you to hate your family, your friends, your ethnicity, your country, your church, community. Jesus wants us to be grateful for all the good things that we receive through them, and he wants us to loyally and humbly serve them. While, at the same time, the invitation to respond to the gospel that Jesus is Lord is, in fact, 
a call to move beyond them, to move beyond the expected behavior that any particular group values and honors and therefore recognize that our loyalty to these groups is not absolute. Especially when the tendency of any group is to eventually draw a line in the sand and say it's us or them. To divide and then to conquer. So is Jesus just doing the same Is Wim Butler correct that the church is at the center of the world's human conflict? Jesus did, in fact, come to divide. And we are at the center of the world's conflict when it's on the wrong side of that divide. Jesus is making a divide. A divide between all that works for the beauty and holiness of a world that he created by his love for his love, divided against all that works to hurt and to destroy on all his holy mountain. Jesus is making a divide between all who work for his shalom and all the thieves that would come to kill and to steal and to destroy. Jesus is making a divide between all who seek to honor the image of God as holy and their fellow man and woman and all who would use their power to exclude and to abuse and to dehumanize. Why is Jesus distressed when he's saying these things? Because like you, he looks upon a world that he created and he sees a world that is divided between the haves and the have-nots, between the Jews and the Gentiles, the male and the female, the slave and the free, Divided between victims and victimizers of consumers and the consumed, and it's plaguing his good and beautiful and perfect world like a cancer. And so, yes, he has a holy fire that is coming. Not merely coming to destroy, it's coming to purify. To burn away all that is indeed sick and evil and destroying this good world that he created by his love and for his love. Friends, Jesus, is ra- Jesus radically spoke out against the assumptions and practices of the social and religious establishments of his time. He turned them upside down and put them on their heads and both church and state had him killed to keep him quiet. You see, there's this assumption If you criticize or critique something, it must mean that you hate it. Jesus did not confront and challenge this world because he hated it. He turns it upside down because he loves it. He loves it, loves us so much that he was willing to allow that baptism of fire to fall on him first. That baptism of fire for which he was so, dis- so distressed would have to come as the only way to make right everything that has gone wrong to, so that beloved sons and daughters of God could be set free. You see, to follow Jesus and take up a cross and follow him and not just speak the truth in love, but live the truth in love. You don't have to be an obnoxious, self-righteous jerk to offend your friends and family with your faith in Jesus. So how does the church get to a place where 
Our neighbors don't see us as part of the problem of divisiveness, but see us as part of the solution to divisiveness. We have to love the way that Jesus did. And Jesus loved in all the wrong ways. Loving the wrong way, like loving your enemies, loving others when doing so, the world hates you back in return because your love threatens your allegiance to them. Loving them even when loving them brings not peace, but a sword. May God empower us to do so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.